are. Summer coming to a close. How many of you are excited about school starting again? Anybody? Mostly parents' hands in the air right there. And colleges. Colleges are kicking back off as well. How many of you dropped off a child at college this month? Anybody? I see some hands. How many of you did it for the first time? Harder than you thought, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm a two-time veteran of that emotional roller coaster, so I feel you. It reminds me of a story of a college freshman who decided to take a class in ornithology. If you don't know what ornithology is, it is the scientific study of birds. Sounds like riveting stuff. I know you're all going to sign up later. But he had heard that this was one of those easy A type classes, and it was until it wasn't. He had breezed through the semester. And then he started hearing about the notoriously difficult final exam. So he stayed up all night studying and preparing and learning random facts about birds so he could do well on the exam. But when he walked in the classroom the next day, he noticed this look of terror on the faces of his classmates. There was no no exam booklet, no essay questions, just one image on the screen with 25 different pairs of bird legs. And the prompt, identify each bird according to its legs. And the student was furious. He lost it. He marched up to the professor and said, this is unfair. How on earth can you expect us to know every single bird just by looking at their legs? And the professor said, well, listen, you were told you needed to learn everything about the birds we've covered this semester. And if you've done that, you should be just fine. But the student insisted it wasn't fair and refused to take the final exam in protest. So the professor told him, that's your choice. But you need to know the final is 50% of your grade. If you don't take it, you're going to get a zero, and that means you'll fail the course. Well, the student doubled down and said, that's fine then, professor. You just go ahead and fail me. So the professor said, okay, well, that's your option. I'll give you the grade you deserve, but let me just get your name so that I can make sure I record it correctly. And the student looked at the professor and said, here you go, professor. Why don't you tell me my name? (laughs) College can be tough. Unexpected things happen. It all came a little closer to home for me a few months ago when our youngest Emma was finishing up some of her coursework and she didn't seem too worried about her final project. And she looked at me and she said, it's not that big a deal, dad, because it's self-graded. She could tell by the look on my face I needed more explanation. She said, really, it's like the most fair way to do it because the class is self-taught. I said, hold on, hold on a minute. You're telling me the class is self-taught. You teach yourself. Yes. And you're telling me the final project is self-graded. You grade yourself. Yes. Well, if you're doing all the work to teach yourself and grade yourself, why is college so stinking expensive today? It was an eye-opening conversation for me on just how self-focused our culture has become. And, And that's not always a bad thing. Like Pastor Greg talked about last week, it's good to become more self aware so that we can better understand our story and make it shareable with other people. But in our efforts to become more self aware, our culture has without question become more self focused, which is dangerous because it can make us more selfish. So if last week was about becoming more self-aware, then this week is about becoming more aware of those around us. 
It's about learning how we can put others first. And the basis for putting other people first really comes from God himself. Because one, God has pursued us. Two, God has put our needs first. And three, God is calling us to put others' needs first. And that's our outline for today. And if you want to follow along, you can find the message notes in the app. And it might be a little easier for you if you want to do that. So first point, though, God has pursued us. Now, I say that in the past tense, but I don't want you to hear it just that way. God has pursued us, but God still pursues us today. And it helps us to remember that God has pursued us if we want to prevent ourselves from becoming too self-focused. You can't read the Gospels without seeing that Jesus was a relentless pursuer of people. It's just not possible. He had a way of showing up at the most unlikely times and places just to let people know that he cared about them. I mean, think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. The Jewish people hated Zacchaeus because he essentially extorted the Jews on behalf of Rome. And Zacchaeus felt all of this. He knew he was hated. And so when Jesus was rolling through town, Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree so that he could get a glimpse at him because he knew he would not be welcome among the crowd that also wanted to see Jesus. But when Jesus got to that tree, he said something no one expected him to say. They probably expected Jesus, who was a Jew, to like lay into Zacchaeus and really give him what he deserved. But instead, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out with you. Do you want to get something to eat? And when Jesus was passing through Samaria, he took the long road to get to where he was going in order to meet a woman at a well. Now, most Jews at that time, they wouldn't talk to or even acknowledge Samaritans. But here was Jesus striking up a conversation with a Samaritan woman, talking about all the heaviness of her past relationships. A.W. Tozer points out that Jesus saw potential in the woman that the world failed to see. He says this, what a gracious thing for us that Jesus never thinks about what we have been, but instead thinks about what we are going to be. And for every time that Jesus pursued someone that the rest of the world had written off, he was really just reflecting the heart of God to this world. I mean, think about the first few chapters of Genesis where God created the whole world and gave everything to Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve made that world changing decision to rebel against God and do things their way. Well, remember what it says next. In verse eight, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, when we hear the verse, our mind quickly goes to the hiding of Adam and Eve. That's what stands out to us. But I, I want you to see that first part. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, God was not walking in the garden because he was bored and needed company. That's not what was happening here. In fact, the word for walk in Hebrew is an idiom. It's a commonly used phrase that often described relationship. We can see this two chapters later when we meet a man named Enoch who walked faithfully with God. So when you see the word walk in scripture, it's often pointing towards a relationship. 
The reason God was walking in the garden was to pursue the people he loved. And this becomes even clearer in the next verse when he says, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? Where are you? And I want to pause here for just a second and ask you, does it grab you at all that the God of the universe is calling out to you? Does that stand out at all? Sometimes it's through your circumstances, maybe good, maybe bad. Sometimes it's through the people around you, but make no mistake, God is calling out to you. And it isn't because he does not know where you are. It isn't because he can't find you. Remember, God is all-knowing and ever-present. It is because he wants to help you know where you actually are. So when he asks you the question, where are you? It's so that you can hear the words coming out of your own mouth. But even more important than that, God is asking us where we are because he wants you to know that someone is looking for you. That to him, you are worth looking for. And let's be honest. We love that idea. We all love to be pursued. It's why the game hide and seek was so popular with us as kids. Anybody remember playing hide and seek? Sure we do. My kids and I played it when they were little. And honestly, they were terrible at it. I would count. Matthew and Emma would hide. And then I would walk around the house slowly and say things like, I wonder if Matthew is behind this chair. And all you would hear is this giggle and this little voice that said, nope, I don't think so. (laughs) And I would say, well, I wonder if Emma is under this bed. And Emma would sass me. She would go, no, try again. (laughs) But when you called out their spot and you heard no response, that's when you knew you had them. And the anticipation would just build and build and build until I peeked around the corner or pulled back the curtain and they would erupt with laughter because for them, just like for us, the thing they wanted most was to be found. It was to be pursued and found by someone who cared about them. I remember how this came to life for me as a teenager. I didn't grow up in church, didn't know much about God or the gospel. But this random middle-aged guy named Scott started hanging around me or my group of friends. Out of nowhere, he was just at the beach when we were surfing, or he was at the basketball court when we were playing basketball. He was at the school during lunch. He was at the football games on Friday night. In today's culture, we would call this stalking. But it worked back then. Somehow it worked. I started to think this poor guy doesn't have friends his own age. But then I came to learn he was a Young Life leader. I didn't know much about Young Life, but I was pretty sure it was a Christian thing. Several months later, he invited me to a Young Life event, and I was really nervous, but I trusted him just enough to say yes. And it was there that I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. I heard about the God who had pursued me all of my life, even though it cost him his own. And it was more believable to me because of the way Scott had pursued me. How about us? How about you? Are you aware of how God has pursued you? Of how he he still pursues you today? 
Are you aware that he was willing to go to the cross so that you could be found from your lostness? And how are you at pursuing others? How are you at showing up at the most unlikely times and places just so someone might know there is somebody who cares about them? You know, the real danger of the cultural moment that we find ourselves in right now is that we're working so hard to be interesting that we are forgetting how to be interested. You need to hear that. We're forgetting how to be interested. And when the church of God seems disinterested in the world, we shouldn't be surprised when the world thinks God is disinterested in them. So we need to know that God has pursued us. It changes everything. The second thing we need to know to help us learn how to put others first is that we need to recognize how God put our needs first. God put our needs first. And nobody paints this picture better than Paul. In his letter to the Philippian church, he says this, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he continues by telling us where he got these ideas from. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death. On a cross. You know, while putting others first is almost never an easy thing for us, what makes it a little bit easier is to see how it was done for us. God put our needs for redemption and forgiveness first, even when it cost him his son. Now, just a few weeks ago, I was in California doing some work and Whenever I go out to California, I'll try to take a couple of surfboards with me and surf early in the morning before my meetings. But in the summertime, at least in Southern California, that's when the stingrays are most active. And so I was walking out into the water about 5.45 one morning and stepped on what I thought was a slimy pancake, but then immediately felt the barb of the stingray go in my foot and knew that was not a slimy pancake. So I hopped on my board and paddled frantically to get out past the waves, and I pulled my foot up on the board, and I could see the puncture mark of where the stingray had gotten me. It was already burning and throbbing, but I thought, you know, the waves are pretty good. The water temp is like 64 degrees, so maybe the smartest thing I can do is just stay out here and surf for a while, let the cold water do its thing. I later learned that cold water is exactly the opposite way of treating a stingray injury, but after a couple hours, the waves were starting to die down, so I I went in and I'm walking up the beach and I see this lifeguard stand and on it, there's a sign that says stingray treatment. And I'm thinking, oh, great, that's me. So I walk over to the lifeguard and he was so excited to have something to do. Told him I got tagged by a stingray. He ran into his little hut, got on the radio, called for backup. This bright red lifeguard truck comes screaming up with lights on. It was a whole big thing. Another lifeguard gets out of the truck and pulls out this bag. Apparently, it happens so much, they have branded merch. He fills it with hot water and tells me to put my foot in it and soak it. And as I'm soaking my foot, the lifeguard starts asking me questions and taking notes, asking me things like, do I feel dizzy? Do I have any underlying health conditions? How old am I? 
And as he's taking notes, then he, he says, how long, how, how, what time did this happen, sir? And I said, it was about 5.45 or so. He goes, it's, it's eight o'clock, sir. Did you just power through it? He said, you must have an incredibly high pain tolerance, or maybe it just wasn't that bad. I said, well, if you're taking notes, let's just write down that I have an incredibly high pain tolerance. I'll feel better about it. And I don't know if you know, but stingrays are part of the shark family. So you have a pastor who survived a shark attack. You're welcome. Yeah. But let me describe what was going on in my body for a second. Okay. My toe was burning and throbbing because of the the neurotoxins of the stingray. But my toe has no way of communicating directly with the brain. Can't tell it there's a problem. To do that, it has to signal to the nerves in the foot. And the nerves then take a message to the brain to let it know there's a problem with the toe. And the toe can get the help it needs. Now, what if the toe tries to signal to the nerves in the foot? And the nerves in the foot are like, look, toe. We are super busy today. We process millions of messages every day, and we just don't have time for your nonsense today. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. What happens to the toe then? Well, eventually it doesn't get the the help it needs, and the nerves in that part of the foot might die. But if the nerves are willing to put the toe's needs first, the toe can get what it needs to thrive again. Now, why do I share that story with you? Here's why. Our God is the God who heals. He is the only God who heals, and he intends to bring healing to his people, to the body of Christ. But to heal the body, God intends to use the body. And that's why it's so important we learn how to put one another First, you will be the ones he uses to bring healing to one another. You will be the ones he uses to remind people they are not alone. You will be the ones he uses to reassure people they are not too far gone. You will be the ones he uses to console people who are suffering. God intends to use the body to heal the body. But the only way that happens is if we learn to put one another first. So we need to know that God has pursued us. And we also need to know that God has put our needs first. And then we need to know that God is calling us to put others first. Now, remember what happened to Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God. Well, what's even more important is to see how God handles all of it. There were some natural consequences that came as a result of their decision. And after spelling those consequences out, God does something very interesting. Verse 21 tells us, the Lord God made garments of skin, animal skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, why would he do this? Why would he do this? If you remember, they were already covered. In verse 7, we see that Adam and Eve had sewn fig leaves together to cover themselves because they were ashamed. So why would God do this? Well, it would seem that in providing the skins of animals for Adam and Eve as clothing, 
He was showing us how insufficient our coping strategies can be sometimes. But he was doing something even more important, far more important here. God was making it clear in providing the skins of animals as clothes. That he would be willing to put something to death in order to remove our shame. You see, at that first moment of human rebellion, God was already pointing at that greater moment of human redemption. Where he would allow his own son to die in our place so that he could ultimately remove our shame. I said it earlier, but I want you to hear it again. What, while it is never easy for us to put other people first, what makes it a little easier is to see how it was done for us. To see how God put our needs for redemption and forgiveness first, even when it cost him his own son. Reminds me of a story about a rabbi who met a 90-year-old wearied traveler and decided to bring him into his home for the night. And after preparing a meal for the man, he then sat down beside him and the rabbi asked, what did he think about God? And the old man said, well, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. The rabbi stood up from the table in disbelief and shock and walked out of the room and started praying to God saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. I can't have an atheist in my home. I must ask him to leave at once. And he sensed God saying to him, my son, I have endured this man for almost a hundred years. Surely you can endure him for just one night. Tony Evans says something similar in a different way. When he talks about how we often ask that God, we pray that God would bless us. And there's nothing wrong with praying for God's blessing in our lives. We should pray for God's blessing in our lives. But he reminds us of why we should pray for God's blessing in our lives. He says, we often pray for God's blessings to flow to us. But so rarely pray that God's blessings would flow through us. And as God's church, we were meant to have the blessings of God flowing through us to the rest of the world. The world should be a different place because we are in it. But that begins with the decision to put others first. And this brings us to the moment that I've been nervous about and excited about for the last several months. Several years ago, Pastor Josh and I were sitting in an airport talking about the long-term vision of Seacoast, kind of dreaming about the impossible, you know? It, it was one of those conversations that, that were premised with the idea of, wouldn't it be cool if? <laughs> but you, you know that the things you're talking about have a relatively low probability of actually happening. But how many of you know Sometimes God likes to show off. One thing we had talked about was the mental health crisis in our communities. We've been noticing how more and more people were hurting and the resources available to them were so limited. And we said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a counseling center at Seacoast, a place where people could get biblically centered 
counseling from trained professionals so that we could be of help when people are hurting. And wouldn't it be cool if we could make it available, not just at one or two of our campuses, but across all of our campuses. And if you're new to Seacoast, you may not know this, but we close every service here with the same verse, Ephesians 3.20. And it starts like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We'll take a look at this. From the time Seacoast began, we have always wanted to be the kind of church that served our communities well. And we knew that would mean coming alongside people during the harder seasons of life. And let's face it, at one point or another, we all find ourselves there. Well, over the last few years, we've noticed that there are more and more people who are hurting. Our culture is calling it a mental health crisis. And based on what we're seeing, that's a fair description. You know, it's been said that everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And we believe that's never been more true. But we also believe that people shouldn't have to fight those battles alone. So in an effort to continue being a church that serves people in pain, we are so excited to announce that we are launching the Counseling Center at Seacoast. With a team of professionally trained counselors, we will be here to come alongside people in the battles they may be facing, to help them understand why they're hurting and how the healing process can begin. Because no matter where you are and no matter what you're going through, we believe that you shouldn't have to fight your battles alone. Give yourselves a hand. You did that. You did that. Because of your generosity, we will be launching the Counseling Center at Seacoast on September 5th. And we've already begun pre-booking appointments. So if you or someone you know is in need of professional counseling in a biblical context, we would love to help. All you need to do is text TALK to 320-320 or go to seacoast.org slash counseling. You can find out everything you need to know. But this will be one more way that Seacoast can put other people first. And, and here's something that I want us all to do. Nobody gets to opt out of this part. Here at, at Mount Pleasant, across all of our campuses and online, we're all going to be part of this. We're going to launch this counseling center on September 5th, 9-5. So what I'm asking you to do between now and then, every day, I want you to pray at 9-05. You can pick a.m. or p.m., your choice. Or if you're a spiritual gangster, you can pick both. I don't care. But I want you to pray at 9.05 every day. Pray for us, the team who will be running it. Pray for the people that we will get to serve. But let's all stack hands on this and pray every day between now and then at 9.05. Now, I don't know if you know this, and maybe it's true for our other teaching pastors as well. But for me, God almost never lets me prepare a message without also turning the mirror on me, without challenging me to do the same things that I'm encouraging you to do. And one of those moments for me came about three weeks ago when Dana and I had learned we have some good friends whose, whose parents over the last 18 months, they've lost both of their parents. And so we learned about the more recent 
recent passing of their father. And um, when that happened, they were going to have to, all of the kids were going to have to come together to discuss what to do with the estate. Now, these friends of ours are a little younger than us. And so their kids are a little younger than ours. Young enough that you can't leave them alone for four or five hours while you have a complicated estate conversation. So my sweet wife offered to babysit all seven children, ranging in ages from 13 down to 11 months. And when I say she offered to babysit, what I mean is she offered to watch the baby while I played recreation director for the rest of them. It was in that exact moment, that exact moment that I sensed God saying to me, hey, Adam, I know that babysitting is not really your thing, but are you going to put their needs first or not? Well, when you say it like that, God. So we went over and it was great. For about four hours, Dana held the baby and I just kept the rest of them from bleeding out. And it was, we had a good time. It was fun. We played in their pool and, and I had forgotten though, just how savagely honest kids can be. And there was this one little girl, super cute little girl, probably first or second grade. We were playing in the pool and she was climbing all over me. And out of nowhere, she kind of came up for air at one point, looked straight at me, locked eyes and said, my grandpa just died. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I heard about this. I'm so sorry. She says, okay, because he's in heaven. And she looked at me and she said, do you believe in heaven? I said, yeah, I do. She said, why? I said, well, I've been reading the Bible for about 35 years now. And the more I read it, the more I believe we can trust what it tells us. She said, wow, 35 years. You're a really slow reader. I said, yeah, that's probably true. She said, in 35 years, that means you're old too. I said, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And she goes, but I knew you were old because there's not a lot of hair up here. I said, you know, this is a lot of honesty all at once. And I'm feeling kind of vulnerable. So I'm going to go over here and swim by myself. But despite the savage truth bombs she was dropping, it was great to be able to help our friends. Not, not because it was easy. Those kids wore us out. But it was such a blessing to us to be able to serve and support our friends during a tough season in their lives. And that's our goal with the Counseling Center. We know it will be challenging and sometimes very, very difficult but we consider it a privilege to come alongside people in pain. And whatever that costs us, we know it will be worth it because we remember what it cost him to bring us healing. Now, let me close by going back to that game of hide and seek real quick. Do you remember playing it as a kid? He does. Do you remember how nobody wanted to be it? Because when you were it, you had to do the seeking. And because we love to be pursued, we prefer the hiding to the seeking. Well, church, based on how our God has pursued us, 
it is time for the church to be it. It is time for the church of God, you, the body of Christ, to pursue the people God has put around you. It is time to meet them where they are and to come alongside them in their pain. And we do that by gaining a clearer understanding of how God has pursued us and still pursues us today. Of how God has put our needs first and how we were meant to put others first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that when we gave you no reason to, you pursued us and you have never stopped. And Lord, I pray the reality of that would arrest us in our minds, in our spirits, that it would grab hold of us in such a way that it, it shakes us a bit. It changes us. It forces us to step into the life we were made to live versus the one we might be settling for. Father, give us the courage to take a look at that today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.